order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Jim McGovern. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Question number one. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House today, I shall have further such meetings later today. Jim McGovern. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, the abolition of council tax, the scrapping of student debt, uh, the £2,000 endowment for first-time home buyers, and of course a referendum on separatism. All promises made by the SNP prior to the last Scottish elections, all promises which were never ever kept. Could the Prime Minister inform me and the House and the country whether certain political commentators are correct when they say that he would prefer to see the separatists returned in Edinburgh for one reason and one reason only, to avoid a Labour victory? No, I'm, I'm happy to confirm that what I'd like to see in Scotland is the greatest possible showing for Annabel Goldie, who's led the Conservatives with such um, distinction. And I don't think I want to uh, intrude in the private grief between Labour and the SNP, but one thing I will say, whatever the outcome of that election, I, for one, will always stand foursquare behind the United Kingdom. Dr Philip Lee. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Is the Prime Minister aware of the significant fires raging in Swinley Forest in my constituency in Bracknell? Um, I'm sure he would like to join me in uh, uh, congratulating the sterling work that's being done by the fire and police services and, and hope to guarantee that the government will be there if any requests are made by those services. Well, I certainly join my honourable friend in praising the fire service and the other services that will be taking part uh, in this difficult endeavour. As he knows, there are well-tried and tested procedures to make sure that central government stands behind local government when there are excessive costs, and I'm very happy to write to him about that issue. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, can the Prime Minister tell us, as a result of his 20% cuts to police budgets, how many experienced police officers are being forcibly retired? Well, the, the decisions about police officer numbers will depend on the decisions made by individual chief constables in individual parts of the country. But the point I would make is this, that we can see in case after case there are far too many police officers in back office jobs and doing paperwork, carrying out corporate development work, who should be on the front line. And responsible chief constables are getting those officers out on the front line to fight crime. And crime under this government is falling. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, I don't know whether he doesn't know the answer to the question or whether he just chooses not to answer it. Let me tell him the answer. 2,100 experienced police officers with over 30 years' experience are being forcibly retired. Take the case of former beat officer Martin Hurd, forced to retire from Wolverhampton Police. Now he's being asked to come back to the force as a volunteer special constable, unpaid unpaid to fill the gaps made by the cuts. What does the Prime Minister have to say to Martin Hurd? What is absolutely clear is what we're getting from the party opposite is complete and utter hypocrisy. At the time of the last election, they were very specifically asked, and I quote the interview, can you guarantee if you form the next government that police numbers won't fall? The Home Affairs spokesman at the time, Alan Johnson, no, he couldn't guarantee it. So the question is, the question is not should the budget be reduced, of course the budget has to be reduced. The question is who's going to cut the paperwork, who's going to get rid of the bureaucracy, who's going to trust the local managers to make sure we get police on the front line. Those are steps we're taking. Those are steps his government never took. Ed Miliband. 
Mr Speaker, he's the guy who came along and said not 12% cuts to make efficiency savings, but 20% cuts in the police budget. It's his choice. Why doesn't he defend it? And, and perhaps one of the reasons people are so angry about it is that a year ago, the Prime Minister said any cabinet minister who came to him and said, here are my plans, and they involve frontline reductions, on the eve of the election, he said they would be sent packing. What has he said to the Home Secretary about cases like Martin Hurd's, or has he just broken another promise? What the Home Secretary is doing is what police leaders up and down the country are doing, is trying to get more police on the beat. In my own force in the Thames Valley, that is exactly what is happening. And when it comes to defending frontline services, isn't it time he talked to local Labour authorities like Manchester City Council, who, although the average cut in, in spending power of local government is just 4.5%, are cutting services by 25%? Isn't it the case that Labour local authorities are playing politics with people's jobs. Mr Speaker, he knows he knows he can't defend he knows he can't defend his broken promises on policing. And let, let's talk about the other broken promises led by the Deputy Prime Minister on, on tuition fees. We know the majority of universities are proposing to charge £9,000 per year. Can the Prime Minister tell us how many of them he expects will have their proposed fees cut by the Office for Fair Access? That decision will depend on the Office of Fair Access. But the Honourable Gentleman talks about broken promises. The fact is, it was the last government that introduced tuition fees and top-up fees. But we have from the leader of the Labour Party, a new doctrine. We have a new doctrine about his attitude towards the last government, which he announced in an interview with the Sun newspaper. He said this, I'm not going to defend what happened in the past just because I happen to have been in the last government. (laughs) Presumably, presumably we shouldn't listen to him now just because he happens to be the leader of the opposition. Mr Speaker, once again, once again, he doesn't answer the question. We, we, know, we know from the Office for Fair Access, we know from the Office for Fair Access that they are not going to cut the fees of the universities. The, the Assistant Director said at the weekend, we are not a fee pricing regulator. That is not our role. We wouldn't say to an institution we would only allow a fee of X or why. So won't the Prime Minister admit that on top of a broken promise not to raise tuition fees and a broken promise that £9,000 will be the exception, he's now breaking another promise on capping excessive fees? The fact is we're going to have to wait till July until the access regulator. But let me make this point to the Honourable Gentleman. Degrees haven't suddenly started to cost seven, eight, or £9,000. Degrees have always cost that much. The question is who's going to pay for them? We say successful graduates should pay for them, earning over £21,000, rather than taxpayers, many of whom don't go to university. But I have to say to the Honourable Gentleman, he made a promise. He made a promise that he would have a fully costed alternative to our fees programme by the end of the last year. Where is it? Another broken promise. It's what we've come to expect from this Prime Minister, Mr Speaker. Hazy on the facts and unable to give a straight answer to a straight question. I know how the Energy Secretary must have felt at Cabinet yesterday, Mr Speaker. And remember what they said a year ago. Two parties working together in the national interest. Now what do we have? Two parties threatening to sue each other in their own interest. That's what's changed in the last year. And what the public are saying is on police cuts, on tuition fees, on the NHS, this is not what we voted for. 
Having broken so many of their promises a year ago, how can the public believe anything they're saying at these elections tomorrow? Even the jokes were bad this week. Um, The fact is, what this coalition government has done over the last year is frozen council tax, capped immigration, lifted a million people out of income tax, introduced a pupil premium, linked the pension back to earnings, cut corporation tax, and set up more academies in 10 months than the last government set up in 10 years. And with council elections tomorrow, people should remember the mess that Labour left us in and resolve themselves. Don't let Labour do to your council what they did to our country. Caroline Dynage. Caroline Dynage. Order. The Minister for Children is under no obligation to behave like a child. It's not required. Caroline Dynage. Thank you, Mr Speaker. agree with the comments of uh, Lord Glassman, the special adviser to the Leader of the Opposition, that the previous government lied to the British people about the extent of immigration? Well, I think the Honourable Lady makes an important point, which is the last government didn't tell it straight to people about what was happening in terms of immigration, and it's fallen to this government to take the steps to get the numbers under control. Indeed, what Lord Glassman said is something I myself have said many times, is there was, under the last government, very hard rhetoric combined with very loose policy, and that was the worst approach of all. Mr Jack Straw. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, may I ask the Prime Minister whether he shares my profound anxiety about the recommendation of the Advocate General to the European Court of Justice for a European wide ban on stem cell research, or patenting of stem cell research based on human embryos? Does he agree with me that were such a ban to be confirmed by the European Court of Justice, it would have profoundly damaging effects on our science base and on our pharmaceutical industries and would he be able to say what contingency plans the government is putting in place to minimise the effect of any such ban? The Right Honourable General makes an important point, and I'd like to thank him for, for giving me some, some notice of this issue. The point I would make is this, that the House and the House of Lords, we had extensive debates on this issue and to arrive at the policy that we have, and I believe it's right to try and maintain the UK as a world leader in stem cell research. Now, under European law, uses of human embryos for industrial or commercial purposes are exempted from patent protection. As I understand it, the legal opinion of the Advocate General at the Court of Justice on the scope of this exemption is advised and does not bind the court. As such, the opinion itself currently has no impact on British researchers, but we should keep this position under review. Jeremy Lafroy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Several manufacturing businesses in Staffordshire, including Alstom in my constituency, have recently committed to significant investments and are increasing their workforce. What measures does my right honourable friend believe are necessary to ensure that the welcome growth in manufacturing in the UK continues for the long term. But my honourable friend makes an important point. We do want to see the growth in manufacturing, which is very strong at the moment and has been over the past year. We want to see that growth maintained. I well remember visiting the Alstom plant. I was slightly less successful in winning um, Stafford than he was uh, at the last election. Um, But it's plants like that that I think will benefit from our policies of cutting taxes, of boosting apprenticeships, of investing in capital projects and in doing everything we can as a government and as a country to support our export industries and sell Britain around the world. 
Bob Ainsworth. On the 25th of June last year, speaking from Park <coughs> Royal, the Prime Minister told our armed forces that he would enshrine the military covenant in law. Why is he watering down that commitment to a useless referencing? I don't believe for a minute that is what is being done. What is going to happen is we're going to clearly reference the covenant in law and then the covenant itself will be published and debated in this House every year. And I think it's absolutely vital that we're able to update and improve it every year because there are so many changing circumstances that our military personnel face. And we are looking across government at all of the things we can do in healthcare, in education, uh, looking at things like council tax uh, when our soldiers are serving overseas, all of the things we can do, frankly many of the things which the last government failed to do to make sure we look after our armed service personnel. Jane Ellison. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, later this month, um, Edward Lister, the Conservative leader of Wandsworth Council for nearly 20 years, moves on to be the Chief of Staff to the Mayor of London. Yeah. Will, the, um, will the Prime Minister join me in paying tribute to him for his leadership in, consist- in delivering the consistently the UK's lowest average council tax with top-rated frontline services and urge more councils to follow suit? Yeah. I thank the Honourable Lady for her question. It gives me the opportunity not just to praise Edward Lister, who's done a fantastic job over many years, but to pay tribute actually to Sir Simon Milton, who was occupying that position, who I know is admired on all sides of the House for the work he did at Westminster and then uh, at the the Mayor's office. What I think Wandsworth has shown over many years is is, is that it is possible to combine low taxes with good services if all the time you're trying to improve efficiencies. That is what councils up and down our country should be focused on, particularly in a year when we have to make spending reductions. Pamela Nash. One of Scottish Labour's key manifesto commitments is the First Foot Initiative, which will help thousands of first-time buyers get a foot in the property ladder. What is this Prime Minister doing to help this generation of home buyers who are crippled by unemployment, student debt, and live, uh, rising living costs and therefore cannot save a deposit for a house. Yeah. Well, the proposal in Scotland sounds quite like the proposal that we made in the budget for First Buy, which is actually to help tens of thousands of young people to get on the property ladder by helping them with the deposit, which many families find it extremely difficult to raise. And there is, I think, a real worry in our country that we see the age of the first-time buyer getting older and older. And so, so many families are finding that unless you have family help behind you, you simply can't get on the housing ladder. We must make sure that isn't the case. And First Buy is a very good proposal, which we're bringing in in England. And I'll be interested to see what happens in Scotland. Stephen Mosley. Speaker, Conservative-run Cheshire Western Chester Council are saving millions by cutting waste, boosting efficiency and selling surplus property in order to help protect frontline services. Meanwhile, in next-door Labour-run Holton, they're cutting back on bin collections and road maintenance instead. What does my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, think can be done to help councils reach fair and sensible decisions? I would encourage all councils to look at costs that can be cut that are not on the front line. Many Conservative councils are sharing chief executives with their neighbouring councils. They're cutting councillors' allowances. They're cutting chief executive pay. But I have to say there are too many examples, particularly Labour councils, where you've still got chief executives paid far too much and not nearly enough attention paid on cutting the back office costs so we can keep the services going. Government is cutting the police, and Birmingham City Council is cutting care to the elderly and the disabled.
There is dismay in my constituency that high-need, high-unemployment Birmingham is being hit far harder than the leafy shires of Surrey. Can the Prime Minister answer, therefore, the question put to me by my constituents? Why have the Tories got it in for Birmingham? It is a coalition between Conservatives and Liberal Democrats that have been doing a great job for Birmingham, making sure the council tax is kept down, investing in housing, making sure there are good public services, and many of the things we've done, like the Regional Growth Fund, are targeted on areas like Birmingham. So I think he should go back to his constituents, and after he's apologised to them for the fact that he was the winner of an all-woman shortlist... um, he should tell them that the coalition government between Conservatives and Liberal Democrats is working at Westminster and working well in Birmingham. Mr James Clapperson. In 2005, the previous Labour government agreed to hand back part of the UK's EU rebate at a cost to UK taxpayers of £9.4 billion over the lifetime of this Parliament. Has my right honourable friend seen any evidence of what precisely was obtained in return for this remarkable generosity? Yeah, yeah. No, my honourable friend makes an important point, which is the rebate, part of the rebate was given up and it wasn't given up for any proper promise in return. We were told there was going to be a promise of real reform of the common agricultural policy, and that didn't appear. And what that shows to me is we've got to be incredibly tough in these budget negotiations, both this year and next year, and then we go into the financial framework for the next seven or eight years. That is the moment we really have to make sure we keep the costs of this organisation under control. Kelvin Hopkins. Savage cuts are set to destroy some half a million jobs in the public sector, and according to PricewaterhouseCoopers, a similar number in the private sector. With thousands more on the dole, paying no taxes and dependent on benefits, the deficit will increase, not reduce. As sure as night follows day, we are going to see a collapse in the housing market, a collapse in support for the Tories, and the return of a Labour government. Would the Prime Minister enjoy... Will the Prime Minister enjoy saying goodbye to most of his colleagues and sitting on this side of the House? I thought it was from Luton, but with that he sounds like he's in fairy dairy land. Anyway, let me, um, <laughs> let me remind him, since this time last year, there are 400,000 more people in the private sector in jobs. That is what's happened from getting the deficit under control, getting the economy growing, and making sure we deal with the mess we were left from the party opposite. Andrew Salou. Is my right honourable friend aware that Conservative-run Central Bedfordshire Council has been rated as the highest performing council of all its statistical neighbours by PricewaterhouseCoopers for value for money, effectiveness and service delivery? And isn't this the type of example that we should encourage more councils to follow? My friend is absolutely right that well-run councils, making sure they're cutting back office costs, can provide good services. And when you look at the figures, it's not just that those Conservative councils are costing less for a band D property, they're also doing better on measures like recycling and other service delivery. So it's simply not true to say that by cutting costs you harm services. You've got to be effective at keeping your costs down in order to provide good services. Harry McCarthy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Next week, next Wednesday, the hardest hit campaign will be lobbying MPs in Parliament, constituents of ours with severe disabilities and chronic illnesses who are bearing the brunt of this government's attack on welfare benefits and public services. Will the 
Prime Minister have the courage to meet some of these campaigners face to face next week so he can hear from them firsthand about the devastating impact this callous and uncaring government is having on their lives? I'll make two points to the Honourable Lady. First of all, the the most important line of defence to actually help people with severe disabilities and severe need is the National Health Service. And it's this government that's putting more money into the National Health Service. £11.5 billion extra. Money that wouldn't be available if we had a Labour government. And we know that because we can see them cutting a billion pounds off the NHS in Wales. In terms of reforming uh, benefits, I thought we actually had the support of the party opposite to reform benefits to make sure they're helping those who need the help most. Jason McCartney. Uh, Thank you very much indeed, Mr Speaker. Last week I joined 170 other Huddersfield town fans in cycling from Huddersfield to Brighton to raise £200,000 for the Yorkshire Air Ambulance. Would the Prime Minister join me in praising Huddersfield town for raising that money, but would he also look into why the Air Ambulance has to pay VAT on their fuel, yet the RNLI, another emergency charity service doesn't. No, well, first of all, I would like to congratulate my honourable friend for his uh, bicycling feat and for all those who took part from, from Huddersfield Town. Uh, I'd also pay tribute to our air ambulance crews across the country who, who do an amazing and brilliant job. Uh, I've looked specifically at this. I mean, as he probably knows, the EU VAT directive does make an exemption for lifeboats. There's no equivalent provision for supplies used by other charities, and we're not able to change that. However, we are able to do more for charities. We did in the budget, including the inheritance tax. Uh, exemption, which I think is going to make a huge difference for charities up and down uh, our, our country, and I hope that he'll do everything he can to encourage them to make use of that. Tony Lloyd. Mr Speaker, ch- child poverty is a cancer which sees children in our, in our society go to bed hungry in homes that the parents can't afford to heat, and the Prime Minister will be aware of the recent OECD report, which says that the great progress made is now stalled and the numbers once again are due to go up. If the Prime Minister does agree with me, as I think he will, that this is a moral imperative for any government, can he tell this House what he'll do now to change policy and make sure that, the, that uh, our children, our innocent children, will not be the victims of government cuts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do believe it's a moral imperative, and I looked at the OECD report carefully. It does show that uh, things stalled actually under, uh, under the last government in, in, in recent years. What I would say is this. First of all, despite having to take difficult decisions in the budget, we did actually make sure that there's been no increase in child poverty as a result of those budgets. But I think it's time for, frankly, a more mature cross-party debate for how we make sure you actually get people out of poverty rather than just actually look at the transfer of money between rich and poor. That's why we're looking at things like the pupil premium, free nursery education for deprived two-year-olds, and making sure that Sure Start is working properly, because it's all those things that will actually help children out of poverty in a more sustainable way. Greg Hand. This week, the, this week, the three top-rated councils of Hammersmith and Fulham, Kensington and Chelsea and Westminster are discussing extending their combined services to save £35 million a year while still improving frontline services. What can the Prime Minister do to encourage this approach rather than that of Labour-run Hounslow, which is closing daycare centres, squeezing parks maintenance and cutting mental health services in a slash-and-burn approach? 
I do think this is a very important point that I hope that councils up and down the country will actually look at. You have three large councils coming together and saving £35 million because they're sharing back office services and executive teams and the rest of it. And frankly, if they can do it as large councils that have big responsibilities, you should have many other councils doing it in London and elsewhere. And until we see that happening, I don't think it's realistic to say that it's necessary for councils to cut frontline services. Mike Gapes. Uh, Mr Speaker, more than a hundred years ago, uh, Parliament legislated to make sure that local authorities provided allotments. Yeah. Healthy oh, yeah. local food is a very good part of good British values. Oh, no. why, why, therefore, why, therefore, why, therefore, is the Prime Minister's government scrapping the obligation on local authorities to provide allotments. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was as concerned as the Honourable Gentleman when I read that report and immediately checked and found that that is not the case. I think it is extremely important that allotments are made available. Many people will find in this House, when they ask in their own constituencies, there are massive queues for allotments as many people want to take part in the activity of growing their own vegetables, of growing their own food and understanding more about where food comes from. It's a great movement and it has my full support. Support. Mark Menzies. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Chief Executive of Conservative run Fileborough Council has taken a 5% pay cut, whilst in Labour run Blackburn they are, they are cutting services to young and vulnerable people, whilst increasing reserves to 12.7 million. What can the Prime Minister do to encourage? councils to behave more responsibly like Conservative run files. Yeah. I think one of the most important things we can do is make all this information available and this government has increased massively the transparency that councils have to go through. Every council in the country now has to declare its spending of any item over £500 and people have really found this useful in seeing how much council executives are paid, how much councillors are paid and making sure they bear down on these costs. So I'd commend what is happening in Fylde and I think it is a matter of great regret that there's still one council, Labour-controlled Nottingham, that won't make this information available. Michael Meacher. Uh, private borrowing was falling at the last election. Why, according to the OBR, is the government now planning uh, to ramp it up by half a trillion pounds to a total of more than two trillion pounds by 2015? Well, what the government is doing is getting control of government borrowing. That was the real crisis we had at the last... It's an important point to make, particularly on a day when we read about Portugal going for an enormous bailout. It is worth reminding ourselves that today we have a bigger budget deficit than Portugal does. The reason we're not in that, their position is because we took action in two brave budgets and a spending round to clear up the mess left by his honourable friends. Dr Therese Coffey. Thank Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm sure you, sir, and the Prime Minister have been enjoying the good weather, especially last Friday with the Royal Wedding, and potentially visiting tourist hotspots like Southwold and Oldborough. But just down the road from those hotspots are indeed farmers who are suffering from potential drought and are genuinely concerned the lack of rain and their, their ability to abstract water may be limited. Will, will he meet with me to, meet to, to discuss these genuine concerns about restricting water for our farmers. No, I'm very happy to meet with the Honourable Lady. Obviously, everyone has been enjoying uh, the recent weather, and it was fantastic that the weather was so good for the Royal Wedding. But farmers are facing real issues, as at a time of year they'd normally be expecting a lot of rain, they've had virtually none. Mary Glyndon. 
With the strong likelihood that the Lib Dems will come off worst in tomorrow's local elections, and hopefully the rejection of AB and the referendum, what political words of comfort will the Prime Minister have for his by then beleaguered deputy on Friday? Well, the point I would make is, of course, we don't agree about the future of our electoral system. We're having a referendum. We're having a debate about it. But the reason for having a coalition government coming together, sorting out this country's problems in the national interest, is as good an argument today as it was a year ago when we went into government to clear up the mess that was made by the party opposite. Rory Stewart. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Prime Minister, in the light of the success of the royal wedding in terms of public diplomacy, does he believe it reinforces the importance of a different narrative for the Diamond Jubilee to that of the Olympics in terms of what it can do for Britain's international reputation? Well, I think we have a fantastic opportunity next year to show all faces of Britain, both uh, modern and traditional. We're going to be celebrating uh, the, the Jubilee, and I think people will want to celebrate the incredible public service that Her Majesty the Queen has given over so many years as a absolute amazingly model public servant. But people will also, I think, want to celebrate the Olympics, a celebration of sport and all that's best about Britain. I think the Royal Wedding, as the Mayor of London said, in many ways was a dry run for some of these events in terms of how we handle them, and I think that everyone in this country has a lot to look, look forward to next year. Alison McGovern. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Many of my constituents in Wirral worry about the quality of care older people, especially those with dementia, receive in hospitals. How does the Prime Minister think his now-paused, top-down reorganisation of the NHS will help make sure older people are looked after with real dignity? Well, one of the whole aims of the changes we're making to the NHS must be to better link up the National Health Service and social service provision and local authorities and how we look after the elderly. And all of us have seen too many cases in hospital where people who should be in either residential or nursing care or being looked after at home are stuck in either uh, large district general hospitals or indeed in community hospitals when they should be getting alternative uh, pathways of care. That's what the whole change should be about. And what I'm finding as I go around the country listening to doctors and nurses and clinicians is we must make sure we take this opportunity to get this absolutely right. That's what the reform should be all about. Bob Russell. In last year's general election in Essex, 49% of the votes cast went to the Conservatives, but 95% of the seats went to Conservative MPs. It was an outcome that would embarrass Robert Mugabe. Yeah. <laughs> other, than the, other than that, Essex is now a Labour-free zone. Yeah. Does the Prime Minister think that that result was fair? Yeah. Um, my honourable friend is, is tempting me into the break. The point I'd make is this: in in Colchester. Everyone had one vote, it was counted once, and he won. And I congratulate him. And in other parts of Essex, everyone had one vote, they were all counted once, and many of my honourable friends won. But I have to say, uh, for all that he brings to this House, uh, what uh, perhaps they lack in number, he makes up in stature as a Member of Parliament for Essex. <laughs> Order.